is Sunday, January 24th. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is the post-UFC 257 edition of the Come On Now MMA podcast. Most of, well, probably everything I'm going to focus on tonight is the post-fight press conference, some of the things that went on in the fight, but mostly the what was said and not said in the press conference. And I want to start off with UFC President Dana White because a lot of the things that get reported, I think, from what White says in these press conferences get reported as transcriptions and not a lot of context is added. And I think that's necessary, especially when it comes to what White says and after the fight cards. Um, so one thing he made sure to hit was that the money thing with with McGregor losing, of course, the question in Dana White's mind becomes, while well, these guys get, once they get a lot of money, they can no longer be quote-unquote savages, and, you know, once you get money, you lose your focus, and you lose your drive, but this is, as I think I've said before, and as other people have said before, this is just a way for, for White to justify it in his mind, and maybe to the fans who don't pay attention to these kind of things as, as deeply as they should. Um, and so it's a way to justify the underpayment of the fighters. That's all this is. We don't see this in boxing, and we, we don't see it in MMA. It doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. It's a, it's a farce. It's a way to convince fans that I don't pay these guys what, the boxing, pay, what boxing pays these guys because, you know, boxing is boring. Uh, boxers are overpaid. All that, the the reality is MMA fighters across the board, even fighters like Conor McGregor, are underpaid. Don't let Dana White convince you that a fighter is not a savage just because they're making okay money. And, and that needs to stop. That myth needs to be done away with. And White knows it's not true. Um, so after the fight, I think we also heard White said, I think he finally admitted that, you know, he did, well, he did admit that Nurmagomedov was retired and that he was the, he was the one pushing for Nurmagomedov to come out of retirement. So that was refreshing to hear. He also mm, said that he didn't think Nurmagomedov was going to come back now and it wasn't likely, which again, refreshing to hear, but something I think we all knew to be true since the man said he had retired and he did so because his mother wanted him to retire. So this points two things. One, White was full of shit in a lot of ways saying that there was a chance he was going to come back. And two, Norman Gomadov is a, a man of his word and that's that. So I think he stays retired and... I think this talk of him coming back all dies unless there's some kind of chance that GSP fight happens, which I don't think there's any chance of that because GSP and Nurmagomedov both holds the cards in that kind of deal and that the UFC won't be able to push them around. And that is not something that the UFC is used to. So that fight I don't think is going to happen. And I think this this the fact that Nurmagomedov is staying retired points to the big differences between him and Conor McGregor. Dana White 
and Conor McGregor are both, to some degree, um, focused on the trappings of money. I think White less than McGregor, because White's not all that flashy with, with things, at least not publicly flashy with things as McGregor is. I think McGregor is focused on the flashiness of fame, the money that comes with it, the ability to buy stupid watches, the ability to show off. He likes the trappings. He likes to be a spectacle. He likes the, the spotlight focused on him. And he is focused on the rewards of fame and of money. And Nurmagomedov clearly not focused on that one bit. I think he has always been focused on competition. And I think that points out a big difference between Nurmagomedov and McGregor. And that's not to judge either of them. Are, I mean, I do think Nurmagomedov's approach is better. I think McGregor would be better off being um, less ostentatious because it looks gaudy and, and kind of sad. But if that's what he's into, that's what he's into. And I think, for the most part, White can convince fighters to take fights they don't want by offering them money because they are so underpaid. But just by his status in the sport, Nurmagomedov made money enough that he doesn't need to chase it. And since it's not his main focus, he's not interested in that. And the only comp competition right now that he wants, I think, is the, the GSP fight. And that's not going to happen. So with all this thing of white I just don't think white understands somebody that he can't motivate through cash because he's never really had that happen before and now it's happening and it happened very publicly and I think sooner or later things may turn in, in inside Dana White and that he's going to start to lash out at Nurmagomedov only because he knows how much money he lost not that he cares about Nurmagomedov, but he knows that Nurmagomedov cost him money. And so I think somewhere down the road, there's going to be a little switch in this talk uh, that White makes about Nurmagomedov. Probably going to be something related to how much money he left on the table. Because that came up kind of in the post-fight press conference when he said he thought that being possibly the biggest pay-per-view sporting event in all time would offer him something incentive to come back. And in White's mind, the biggest sporting pay-per-view sporting event in all time of all time means how many pay-per-view buys, means how much money Nurmagomedov could have made. And again, that doesn't interest him. I don't think that interests him. Sure, it would be nice, but I think competition comes first and being secure in where he stands financially. Why? Why Why even bother if, it, if you're not into the fight? That's how you lose. And so, and I, but I think another, I think over the overarching thing in all this is that the wish of his mother for him to retire and the word he gave her that he was going to retire. So I think that's the big umbrella thing. And I think if White thought he could break through that, he thought he could convince him with dollars. Well, neither of those things is going to happen. Because like he said, he wants the fight that he wants once and that I think his father wanted for him was the GSP fight. 
and they they both wanted that fight in Russia, and they wanted him to possibly go thirty and zero, and then that was going to be it. But that's not what White was going to offer. White was going to offer a guy he already finished, and money, and not in Russia. So that's where the the, the disconnect comes. White's mind can't wrap itself around that. So again, I think. As I've been saying since the minute Nurmagomedov retired, I think he stays retired. Something I found a little funny was after Michael Chandler, uh, TKO Dan Hooker, or not, I don't, I think it was a TKO. It was a stoppage, that's for sure. And it was an impressive one. And Chandler really, really sent a message. And it was impressive as all get out. But after the fight, now this is, I found this funny. I kind of chuckled a little bit when White said it. He said, I hate the backflips. Somebody's going to get hurt doing that. So just think about that. These guys go in there and, and women, men and women, go into that cage, lock the door, and their focus was on either submitting their opponent or knocking their opponent out. And White's worried that someone's going to get hurt doing a backflip. So that shows you his, his disconnected brain on this. I mean, if you boil MMA down to its simplest form, you know, if you go past the love of competition, the, it's the hurt business. And you're worried about a twisted ankle more than a brain injury. So for that one, that's a come on now for Dana White. Come on, man. You're worried about someone hurting their ankle off a backflip after they've been in a, a cage locked in uh, the octagon for up to 25 minutes. So, like, if Max Holloway would have done a backflip, you would have been more worried about Max Holloway's ankle than Calvin Cater's brain. Says a lot. Not Not surprising to hear it, but it says a lot. And it's funny but it's more sad than funny so we heard a lot about the guy with the wristband scaling balconies leaving a bag in a fighter's room and then running from security and the story didn't sound right I mean it some of it sounded like it could have been plausible and it still could be plausible but we haven't heard any proof White did say that everything was on camera and there's been no offer to release that footage. But an interesting question was asked to Dana White during the post-fight press conference. And the question was, if this guy had a wristband, why did he have to scale balconies? And the answer was, some. there was some, you know, that White mumbled a little bit, stumbled a little bit over words. And then he said, I don't know what the hell happened. And then there was more stammering and he finished with they they you know and that was it so come on i think the uh, story got a little let's say enhanced from the reality also no one knows what was in the bag but the uh, the ufc is not going to press charges against the alleged spider-man that scaled four balconies to get over to that room while he had a wristband that gave him the right to walk around the hotel he was in. So why didn't he just walk right into the room, 
drop the bag, and then walk out of the room. So this story doesn't seem to make any sense at all. It's it's weird. There's there's got to be something missing here. And until the UFC shows us, you know, some tape of what actually happened, I'm going to be a, a little leery on believing anything Dana White said about this story at this point. But it was funny to hear him get asked that question. And it was funnier to hear him stammering over an answer and finishing with, he didn't know what happened. And then with, they, they, you know. No, we don't know. That's what the problem, that's why the question was asked. <laughs> what happened? This is what we want to know. So if you give me they, they, you know, I don't know. No one knows. And it sounds like Dana White's just maybe, maybe just saying shit. Um, when he was asked about the buildup to the fight, White said, every time I did an interview, and this was before the before the event, I had to talk about Dustin Poirier because the interviewers weren't. And I'm going to call bullshit on this because the maybe not the MMA media, but you know, no matter who Conor McGregor is going to fight, if it's a question from outside the MMA media, the, answer, the, the interviews are going to all be about Conor McGregor. Now, the MMA media folks clearly are going to ask about Dustin Poirier because we all know that Dustin Poirier is, I mean, I would, I would find it hard to believe that you would find people who didn't give him a chance from inside the MMA bubble who didn't give him a chance to win on Saturday night. I picked McGregor, as I think most people would have done and did, but I, and I think this is going to ring true as well, said that there wouldn't be a surprise if Poirier won. And that's what I said. Now, I will admit I was surprised that he knocked him out. I thought if Poirier won, I thought it was going to be either submission or decision. But the knockout I didn't pick, that was a shock to me. I'll admit that. But I 100% believed he could win that fight. So I think the same thing was true for most most people. Uh, but to say that is... is is disingenuous because let's think about this. Dana White had already written kind of written Dustin Poirier out of the picture. When he was speaking to Habib in that video that was released, he told him to imagine the numbers a rematch that a rematch with him and McGregor could do. Not a rematch with him and Poirier, but a rematch with him and McGregor, which means this is who I think is going to win. And I don't consider that Dustin Poirier has a chance. That's how that sounds. So White doesn't get to change the narrative here. White doesn't get to say, I was the one who, who kept talking about Dustin Poirier in the media when we have him on tape on a video that the UFC released telling uh, Nurmagomedov to come back to fight McGregor before McGregor fought Poirier. So don't, don't, try, and, don't try and change the story. When we know, when everyone knows, Dana White thought the uh, the result of this fight was predetermined and that McGregor was going to win easily and then waltz into a big money fight with Habib Nurmagomedov. Dustin Poirier ruined that party, even though Nurmagomedov had already ruined it before the fight <laughs> took place by saying he wasn't going to fight him. But Dustin Poirier... Um, Whatever little chance was left took that away when he when he dropped McGregor. So, no, 
No, Dana White, you weren't the one that was always talking about Dustin Poirier before this fight. And if you were, you were talking about him losing and McGregor winning and fighting Habib. So come on, man. So this is a thing that's kind of related to White, but it's also related to the MMA media. The media oftentimes, and I think this is, it's force a habit because it's been done so often and it's so easy to do. I think the media has become a transcription service for Dana White often in these in these post-fight press conferences. Uh, it definitely happened at UFC 257. We let him say things and the answer is always, well, I'm just reporting what Dana White said. But here's the thing. If you report lies or things that are unprovable, these things are going to eventually turn to truth especially in the case of someone like Dana White. We saw this with Trump. If you don't check the lie and let it build into, into something, it will become the truth. And that has happened with Dana White often. And it's easy to stop it. It doesn't need to be confrontational. It doesn't need to be anything really special. It just needs to add context to what White says. So when he bragged about shutting down the streamer, with with no proof, that's, th that falls into this category. When he told the story about the Spider-Man dude and the four balconies, no proof. This is under that, under that heading as well. So if you're uncomfortable doing some research on things or, you know, just calling White a liar or pointing out that this isn't true, the easiest thing to do and the right thing to do to add the context to these perhaps tall tales, but things that can't be proved to be true, proven to be true, all you have to do is add a line. A couple couple words, and that line is Dana White said without proof. That's it. And we'll use the example of the streamer here. Dana White said without offering proof, the streamer took down his site. It's simple, it's easy, it's effective. It gets the message out that this might not be true, but Dana White said it and we're going to report it because he's the president of the U UFC. And I almost said United States because, again, this is a very comparable to Donald Trump's situation where you just report the words and then you try and act like you're not involved or complicit with the spreading of lies by saying, well, I'm just reporting what they said. Don't do that. Please add, add some context. It's not hard, but it is extremely effective. And I think it's something that's needed in the case of someone like Dana White. So please, I, I, I wish I would see more of this. I see some. I don't think I see enough or as much as we should. But I don't want to be a scold or come across as a scold. But I just don't like um, the untruths that get spread and then turn into truths and build it into this Dana White myth. I don't like it. And it, it should be avoided. Um, ethically, it should be avoided. Speaking of the, uh, the releasing of the fighter for violating the safety protocols. And I know if White's story is true, which... I don't think it's, it is as true as he seems to want everyone to believe. 
the, the safety protocols were violated more extremely in the case of this fighter than they were in the case of Dana White. But a violation of a safety protocol when it comes to COVID-19 is a violation of a safety protocol. So with White never wearing a mask, disobeying and disregarding the safety protocols that the UFC wrote, that the NSAC wrote, that the Abu Dhabi um, tourism wrote, that's a that's a safety violation and the safety protocol violation on Dana White's part. And if a fighter did it and it was brought up, they would face repercussions. But White, would, everyone just shrugs it off. And when he says that someone got released because they violated a safety protocol, no one says, well, what about you? You've been violating the safety protocol from day one. Day one. And you've faced no repercussions. And you haven't even bothered to pretend like, like you're following the safety protocols. So it's extreme hypocrisy even though there is a difference in the, in what potentially what between the man who got the wristband from the fighter and walked in, it's not that much of a difference because White leaves the quote unquote bubble and then comes back in without getting tested. So big picture, it's not all that different. It's a violation and it could lead to the spread of COVID nineteen. So why not? Why not? Re, why are there no repercussions? Because it's Dana White, and he thinks he's untouchable. Well, it kind of is, because no one's done anything about it. And someone should. But what can we do? Um, I'm going to wrap it up there, I think. Um, and I will talk about Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor more tomorrow. I don't want to drag this on too long. I'm already going into close to 25 minutes. And it'll leave me some time to really uh, absorb things a little more and talk a little more in depth about uh, the performances of the fighters. But I will be back with that tomorrow. So until then, everyone stay safe. And I will definitely have more to say tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs>